Hello, my babies, and welcome to Poker in the Ears. Once again, I am Uncle Daddy Joe Stapleton. Here's my work wife, James Hardigan. Happy Egyptian Sportsman's Day, Joe. I, I can only do one Egyptian sport. Walking. <laughs> Thanks, oh, everybody, for all... <laughs> can't believe I laughed at that. I know. That's good. We're off to a good start here. Thank you, everyone, for the kind words about last week's show and my voice. It feels very good to be back. I cannot remember the last time I was this excited to talk about something. Coming up on today's show, we are talking Danny's Game. Yeah. What is Danny's Game? It's a movie-ish. Yeah, appropriate uh, description. And let me tell you, I could do an entire podcast about this movie. We are doing an entire podcast about this movie. No, not a podcast episode. I could base an entire podcast series <laughs> Where each episode we dissect <laughs> a minute of this movie, I loved it. I as genuinely in, loved this movie. As in, you loved to hate it. I, I don't know. If, it's not good. Okay, don't, I'm not saying it was good, but I loved it. Okay, well, let's wait until our guest is on the show before we discuss this in detail. That's right. Lance Bradley, editor in chief of PocketFives.com, was the person who put this. First on our radar, uh, and we are going to thank him personally as he is the guest on this week's show. And which super fan was bestowed with the gift of getting to watch this movie? Guillaume LaBelle will be joining us. Ah, that's right. Detective Guillaume LaBelle here to solve the mystery of Danny's game. Quick little bit of news here. Not going to do a full poker news segment, but uh, we are back on television in the United States of America. We are on FS1. That's Fox Sports 1, Friday nights, 11 p.m. Is that 11 p.m. everywhere or 11 p.m.? I believe that FS1, being a national broadcaster, functions on Eastern Time. So I don't believe there is a West Coast tape delay, as it were. So I think 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific is oh. when the show is going out every Friday night. And I think it's excellent back-to-back episodes for the next few weeks. That's very cool. And uh, speaking of poker on TV, we do want to say that we miss Norman Chad on the World Series of Poker broadcast. Uh, I'm very concerned for Norman. I really hope he's doing well. And um, to, I just want to say to the couple of people out there who, who saw this as an opportunity to to say I should be on those shows, like that's in really poor taste. And I found it very upsetting. Please do not do that. Um we are doing another show this week, however, not just on Fox. We are broadcasting to the world starting on Thursday. Yes, we are going to pull old TV shows out of the archive and turn them into retro streams. Uh, before we get into detail about that, let's talk about the stuff that we've been watching. Yeah. And this did come up on the Sunday Million stream on Monday Night Joe, but WandaVision, I kind of feel that the most recent episode, spoiler alert, everyone, um, was probably the weakest so far. It was one of those this, episodes... Ep this episode can fuck off. Yeah, it kind of... I get why it needed to happen. You needed a certain degree of exposition and you needed that bridge from where we are to where we're going to go. I get the impression the finale is going to be pretty intense. But yeah, it, it kind of just didn't have the same excitement, dare I say humor, um, and engagement that the, every other episode in this season's had. Yeah, and I, I can I can give the show a pretty wide berth for crawling at a snail's pace 
All right. The one thing that, you know, they've got a lot right as opposed to some of the other Marvel shows they've done uh, as far as that, how it looks and how it feels and how it connects. And it really feels a part of the Marvel universe. And every shot of it looks like a movie. I'm happy with all that. But what they haven't improved upon is that the story is just limping along like this is insulting how little has happened over the course of this season. We're about to hit episode nine, and I'm, I was a little irritated before, but this episode really, really pissed me off. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it was, I don't disagree. Like, it was nice to have everything confirmed, uh, but there was nothing revealed in this that we couldn't, that we didn't, we weren't already putting together an episode two or three. Yeah, I guess to a certain degree, it was almost trying to over-explain what was happening in that regard. But look, I've got decent hopes for the season finale, which is episode nine, which I believe is closer to an hour than half an hour. So we'll see, and I'm sure we'll end up discussing that on next week's show. Um, I've not really seen anything else. I finished Ted Lasso. I know we discussed that briefly last week as well. But apart from that, not a lot has uh, passed my eyeballs. I think Jason won a Golden Globe for that, if I'm not mistaken. I believe he Um, did. Yeah, I didn't didn't actually watch this. I forgot it was even happening. I I don't know, man. I'm not like... I'm 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 ready to skip everything until we can do it for real again. That I guess that's my thing. Watching these Zoom things. No offense to you folks who've been watching us on Zoom, but <laughs> I I don't want it. I want to go back to the real stuff. I, I um, think you'll find that we use significantly more expensive technology than Zoom to produce yes, this content. That is true. Um, I've been watching The Stand. I don't think you guys have it in the UK just yet. Um, it, it was made for CBS All Access, a miniseries about the Stephen King book. No, I have don't. You, you're not a Stephen King guy in general, are you? I'm not in general. I, I like a few of the movies adapted yeah. from his books, but with the exception of The Shining, I've never read a Stephen King book. Well, The Stand is really incredible. The, the Stand is like 1,800 pages long. Um, and one of the, I did read it as a kid and it is about a virus that wipes out like 99.9% of the world's population. And the people who left, who are left are on opposing sides, basically like the ultimate battle of good versus evil. Wow. Um, and the book's really cool. They made a mini series when I was a kid that I really liked. I don't think it was particularly well regarded. What I don't like about this is that the book is told chronologically the way Stephen King does, right? Like the first like 600 pages of this book is about the virus and the people who you don't know who's going to live or die or who survives. The way they tell it in the in in the in this mini series is they keep going back and forth in time and it makes the things happening in the present so much there's so much less gravitas because it happens, and then they show you the before after that, and I don't know. I, I, I'm I'm about halfway through it. I do like it, but I don't I don't love it. What me and my girlfriend are rewatching right now, she's seen for the first time. Which, in there's so much good TV that stuff like this, like we forget how amazing it was. Mr. Robot, fantastic show, is and so good, and it's like so hard to even remember it existed when people are like, yeah. oh, what are your best TV shows? I think that should be up there. Absolutely. Uh, I watched the fourth and final season last year, and in advance of that, I rewatched seasons one through three. And I know some people didn't like the second season, especially the how can I put this gimmick they employed in the second season. I loved it. I actually think. 
across its first three seasons, this show just got stronger and stronger. And I so, think, by the way, really quick, so I'm sorry to interrupt. I haven't seen season four, which okay. is part of the reason why no, I'm rewatching. No spoilers. Other than to say, inevitably, it was always going to be hard for that fourth and final season to live up to what, to me, was the high of season three. It's still very good. I think it does take a little bit of a dip, however. But I know you and I often talk about endings and how hard it is to end stuff satisfactorily. This comes pretty damn close. I think season two is really good, and I'm appreciating it even more watching it. Um, because I had no idea what was going on while it was happening. How, I was like blown away when when the reveal happened. How good is BD Wong in this show? Really good. Really, really good. And then he's in Jurassic Park movies and really horrible. Well, he, I think he's, he's in, one of, uh, I mean, I know that obviously Jeff Goldblum popped up in the last one, but he's he was the kind of the link, right, between the original Jurassic Park and the, the, the reboot movies. I think so. Other than like maybe some voiceover from John Hammond, but uh, right, you know, you, he he pops up in the, in Jurassic World two, I think, and you're like, fucking, where'd yeah. they dig this guy up? Forgetting how great he was, yeah. in Mister Robot. Um, bit of housekeeping to do, Joe. Uh, you've already established the fact that yes, and I, I would love to have announced this well ahead in time, but you know, as you can imagine, there was a lot of last minute stuff that needed to be happened to needed to happen to facilitate it when the PSPC went on to FS1 at the end of last week. But just to remind everyone that those shows are now airing in the States. A lot of people asking about when they're coming to other parts of the world should point out and bear in mind there hasn't been much live poker in the last 12 months. There's nothing new coming your way. These are the shows that were produced from the Pokestars Players No Limit Hold'em Championship in the Bahamas in January 2019. They've already been broadcast in the UK. That was back last spring. They've already been broadcast in Canada on Sportsnet. I'm sure eventually they'll make their way to YouTube, uh, so they'll be available on demand. Um, But yeah, I think it's great. And also, I have to say, not just for poker stars to be back on TV in America, but for us, Joe, because, you know, we discussed recently, I think it was the podcast we did with Roland Boothby. We talked about the fact that, you know, we did the NAPT TV shows in 2011. And at that point, poker stars was forced to exit the US market. Those shows never aired. The last time I did any kind of TV in America was that live final table of the PCA main event in January 2011 pretty much exactly 10 years ago. So this is wow. a huge thing uh, for us to be back as a partnership, back with PokerStar shows on American TV. And PokerStars put, put, put in their head above the parapet in, uh, well, in the US again, like, hey, well, we're, we're here. <laughs> you know about New Jersey, you know about Pennsylvania, and of course last month along came Michigan as well. Yeah, PokerStar has managed to finagle its way back into another U.S. state, and this is one of the good ones. Michigan, strong. It's launched in Michigan with style with the first ever MI Coop, the first ever Michigan Championship of Online Poker. It's taking place right now, and I did hint on Monday night during our Sunday Million stream that there was going to be a bonus stream next week. So we have got Monday night, Sunday Million, and then Tuesday night, a replay of the MI Coop main event final tables. This is actually going to be played on Monday. We're going to do a Cards Up replay on Tuesday night. And Andrew Nimi, who is a Michigan native, uh, big poker player, big poker content creator, he's yeah. currently in Detroit and he's playing MI Coop and nice. he's streaming 
MI Coop. He's going to join us as the third man in the booth to provide analysis, color commentary, but also give us his personal perspective as someone who has played some MI Coop events. Um, should point out that bearing in mind that this is a stream very much directed at the US market, it is going to be starting later than our normal streams. So it's going to be at oh, no. 6 p.m. Eastern time. So for those of you in Europe, just to put it into perspective, that's 11 p.m. in the UK. That's midnight Central European time. So understandably, we're very much pitching this at Poker Players in Michigan, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, on the East Coast of the US. So right now, there's a lot of American Canadian listeners who are like, yes, something prime time for us. And everyone else in Europe going to have to put some extra coffee on the stove. Uh, but yeah, that's yeah, a that's fun a, one. That's a long looking forward to that. That's a long work day for James Hardigan. James, don't worry. I'll get you plenty of Fago to get you through it. That's a, that's a Michigan-based <laughs> well, soft drink. I also have the cheat code ready to employ, which is effectively um, assuming that it's not a super short final table, which it may well be because you know how these things go. It's I'll kick off the broadcast and then I might just let you and Andrew carry on. Uh, ah, I see. The two Americans can take it home to the stars and stripes. If it's if it's as far as I'm concerned, if it's still working hours in your part of the world, you can you can go with it. That's fair um, enough. So whilst that's a one-off <laughs> retro, which we've talked about a couple of times now, is a regular strand, and chances are, by the time you're listening to this podcast, you've already seen the first stream because we're starting this on Thursday, the 4th of March. But just to be clear, guys, this is going to be a regular thing on Thursday afternoons. So we talked about something a bit later than normal. This is a bit earlier than normal. So maybe while you're still at work, uh, 3 p.m. UK time, 4 p.m. Central European time, going back through the archives, just as we did with the EPT, but with some of the other poker stars tours, stuff that Joe and I have never seen before from Asia, Latin America, and revisiting the NAPT, uh, old school poker. Looking forward to it. That's awesome, man. We got we got all we've every time zone covered at this point. Yeah, uh, gu yeah. guaranteed, not guaranteed. I don't want to hear from you in the Marshall Islands. Okay, if if we don't if we're not doing anything for you, we're we're not doing <laughs> anything. Plus, the Sunday Million streams continue every Monday, with the exception being the week of the Sunday Million 15th anniversary. We're going to try and give our superfan this week a ticket to that special edition of the Sunday Million. The superfan is going to be answering questions about the movie we are about to review in the company of this week's guest. Lance Bradley, welcome to the Poker in the Ears podcast. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Looking forward to this. Well, Thank here's the thing, you. Lance. You put this film on our radar. That's right. You only have yourself to blame. Now, you are a respected voice in the poker industry. You're one of the a OGs voice. of poker media. A voice, yeah. So, so we made the mistake of listening to you. Um, it's only fair that you get to suffer as well. Um, question one, and this is for the benefit of, of everyone listening, just remind everyone of who you are, what you've done, and what you do now. Uh, I am the president and editor-in-chief of PocketFives.com. Uh, I've been writing about poker for 15 years now for various outlets. So uh, I've uh, I've been here for a minute. Absolutely. And secondly, and possibly even more importantly, how the fuck did you find this film? How? How? I knew this was going to come up. So 
I, I mean, I'm scrolling through the IMDb app in Amazon. Like, <laughs> there's great movies in there. And then you get the further right you go, you just get into some real trash. And there was a poker movie. And I was like, I, I guess I need to watch this because it's about poker. And it looks god awful. So let's get into it. Yeah. It looks god awful. It is god awful. This movie is so weird that I thought there's no way it was shot in America. Like I thought for like a hundred percent, they took like the eight or nine cast members and like flew them to some foreign country where they could do this for like, no, it's actually shot in Minnesota. Uh, believe <laughs> so it or random. not, super, super random Minnesota, the new Hollywood. I have so many questions about this movie, but the two biggest are how and why. Yeah. Why? I would like to say, by the way, and this is a caveat to issue before we kind of get into it, I do respect anyone who actually manages to write, produce, and and execute and finish a film. Anyone who can actually do it, right, from start to finish and get it out there, you know, I salute you. That Good. being said, why? Why this? Right, so uh, uh, along with James, I don't like shitting on things, especially, you know, artists, right? I, I don't like doing it because there for the grace of God go I, right? I'm not out there making movies. I'm not out there doing this stuff. But the why for this, like the the fact that somebody cared this much to make this movie, who and it's a person who I don't think can possibly like poker that much because no. they don't know anything about it. The I think the only explanation for this movie is that it was some kind of Brewster's Millions type situation <laughs> where the people who made it for some reason were contractually obligated to make this movie or they wouldn't get their uncle's fortune. Like, I don't know how else you can explain how it happened. That actually makes the most sense out of every scenario <laughs> that I've thought of as to why this movie got made. That, and I hadn't even considered that one. So, yeah. I mean, maybe that's it. Well, I mean, in the end credits, you see the list of backers and clearly this was a self-financed funded movie and clearly they probably didn't raise as much money as they would have liked. I think it's fair to say that there are plot points that go nowhere. Characters who are introduced to then disappear. I get the impression they weren't able to finish the whole film, just enough of it to tell a story. Um, I mean, should we go through this kind of like almost minute by minute because it's, it's a relatively short film near enough. <laughs> it's not going to take long. It's an hour and 21 minutes. Yeah. Long. Yeah. No, it's an hour and Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> it's an hour and sixteen minutes long, and a lot of it is freeze frame. Like if if you cut down all the freeze frame in the opening montage, the movie is about an hour and six minutes. I mean, I, I also don't like to be overly critical of films which are clearly operating on a low budget. It's it's you know, as I said, if you can get it out there, great. But this film just betrays how low budget it is at every single turn, starting with the opening scene where we are in a prison that seems to have about 10 inmates who are strategically placed in different <laughs> corners of the prison in different shots. But the problem is they've cast extras who are so visually distinct that it's very clear that there are only about 10 inmates. <laughs> we have found the least crowded prison, definitely in the United States of America, Possibly in the entire world. But he still needed protection from those 10 inmates. That was a key <laughs> introduction in that opening scene was this man needed some protection from like none of the inmates that attempted to step to him were at all threatening. I, I could take him and I'm, I'm nothing. 
Yeah, that's a, one thing that I think that I would recommend is that if you're going to make a movie on the cheap, don't expect your background actors to act so much. Like, there is a lot of responsibility being placed on people who more than likely were backers of the film. Like, the more I work in independent film, the more I realize that the people you see having speaking parts have often contributed heavily to the film's budget. Like, the dude in the wheelchair, I would be shocked if that guy contributed any any less than $10,000 to the making of that film. Because I don't understand the casting choice otherwise. Okay, so I don't want to keep hammering on all the low-budget stuff, right? But the opening music just ends abruptly, right? It doesn't fade out, it just stops. And then we get the first conversation of the movie, which is after Danny is released from prison and is greeted by his brother, and we know it's his brother because his first line of dialogue is, you're my brother. Um, (laughs) The sound department really should have reviewed the boom placement because it's actually really hard to work out what they're saying. But the one thing you can hear are the comedy sound effects. (laughs) What is going on with this? So you mentioned the audio. I actually had to, when I watched the movie a second time to prepare to come on here, which like I'm going to invoice you guys for my time. Um, I had to watch it with subtitles on to be able to follow the dialogue because I couldn't hear what there's, maybe I'm old, I don't know, but I couldn't actually hear the dialogue over the uh, nightclub that was clearly in the background of whatever studio they recorded the audio at. So I also watch it with the subtitles on, mostly because I just do in general, but the now that this the sound of this was... And again, I'll stop hammering home on on the cheapness of this movie eventually, too. But my absolute favorite thing about this movie, I had three things listed as my favorite things. One was the sound effects. James just hit it. The second is the second is the number of times they say the main character's name in this movie. The word Danny is said at least 300 times in this film. But my absolute favorite thing was the point at which the closed captioning person gave up. <laughs> there is a... There is a line that happens. There was a line where it says, I'm going to (laughs) mumbles till for the rest of my life. And the closed captioning person is just like, I don't know. Like they got me here. I know this is my job, but like, I forgot to fucking clock out. Like I can't, that was, I've never seen that before where they were just like, we actually don't know what was said here. So I have, Two key questions about the opening of this movie. First of all, in what world are these two brothers? Because Danny and Arthur look and behave nothing alike. And secondly, and definitely more importantly, how old is Lisa actually meant to be? Okay, this really weirded me out too. So just to catch up the audience, Danny gets let out of prison. There's a very Blues Brothers car ride where these two brothers are arguing about what life is going to be like afterward. Um, what sort of debts still need to be paid. They get home and Danny's brother has a daughter and the daughter is supposed to be, I think like a precocious 12 year old, but it's very clearly played by someone in their late teens. I'm guessing maybe even early twenties. I would veer towards the latter. And there's a very weird, the, the precociousness doesn't work and it comes off as like an odd sexual tension between Danny and his supposed niece. Am I the only one? I found no has... tension in this movie at all, so I didn't see <laughs> Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> um, the first scene between Danny and Lisa, the pancake scene, 
yeah. was just plain weird. And that leads into the first conversation about poker and this oft-repeated line, poker is not about gambling, it's about deception. And it yeah. hammers home this point multiple times inaccurately. Uh, I have to be honest with you, at this point in the movie, I was thinking, this is a spoof. They've written this as a, as a, as a black comedy, right? This isn't, this isn't for real. And then... As it carried on, I realized, oh, maybe they do think that this is serious. I was actually at that point where I couldn't work out whether I was meant to be laughing or meant to be taking this seriously. I, look, I, mean, I, I, I think that it is a black comedy. It's not a spoof. It definitely is a dark comedy. I can't give it some credit there. We're like The movie definitely doesn't take itself too seriously, which... Which you can't look. They, they have Lance's. His eyes are bugging out of his head no, right now. I, see, this is the problem, Joe. I think it does take itself too seriously. Yeah. I think it's, I don't know. I think it's really there's earnest. comedy sound effects in it. There's a fucking slide whistle and like a like it's. I I, I look. That, there's the also the character introduction where like the character spends thirty seconds on the screen, and then there's this like graphic novel treatment where their name comes in, and that just stopped about two thirds of the way in the movie. Well. Bear in mind, it does that for characters who appear for like 30 seconds and then completely disappear again. Yeah. Um, three characters are introduced in the next three consecutive scenes. So first, Alex, the villain of the piece. Do you have any pet fish? She asks as Danny goes to see her. Standard opening gambit. Um, as she licks the scissors as she talks in a sexual and threatening way towards him. I mean... Tonally, then this is the, the key problem. Whether is it a spoof? Is it a black comedy? Is it a drama? Tonally, it's all over the shop. It's actually very hard to pinpoint the writer slash director's intention. Well, she I, owes, I, or he owes her money because she offered protection for him in prison. That yes. from the uh, the group of forty five year old men that populated that prison, and. Then she's like threatening him the second he's out, not even like there's no tension between why, did, like, why did she protect him? We really d d because she could pick up a debt later and then but, threaten to kill him the okay. first time she sees him. But this is a good point, Lance, because you've talked about the actual plot of the movie, which is which is oh. fundamentally flawed. Danny owes Alex money. Danny proposes playing in poker game to pay Alex back. For reasons that are not made clear, Alex doesn't seem to want to be paid back. She wants to play in the same poker game, beat Danny, so she can kill him and his niece and not be repaid. Why doesn't she just want the money? I genuinely don't get what her motivation is in this movie. Yeah, I mean, look, if I if I could play devil's advocate for a second, because I do think Satan truly made this film. Um <laughs> I, I, I think that um, Alex's intentions are are sadistic uh, in general. She seems to really, and I agree that the tone is quite uneven, where it's almost comical at times, and then she makes incredibly graphic threats toward a child uh, and can be not successfully, but the attempted menace is, is real um, from this character. So just to give a little bit of credit, I, you know, I don't need to know what her motivations are necessarily. Sometimes bad guys are just bad guys. I'm willing to give them credit for this. Um, the part I'm not willing to give credit for is that Alex owes, excuse me, is that Danny owes Alex $100,000 for this protection in prison. And what does he go and do from, I believe, the next character that's introduced? 
Cigar dude. Uh, the merchant. The merchant. He borrows $100,000 from the merchant, but not to pay back Alex the $100,000 he owes her, but to play in the poker game to win the $100,000 he owes her. Did I? Did I? Is that right? Did I follow that correctly? But then he also goes to someone else for money as well, who we'll come to in a moment. But we can't ignore the merchant because this is one of the characters who is introduced and then pretty much immediately disappears from the movie bar a, a tiny, tiny scene. But there's a setup here where he has this throwaway line where he says, after all, I am Lisa's grandfather. I'm like, so he's Danny's father? And this is not referenced again, developed in any way. And as I said, then he just walks off smoking a cigar, never to be seen or heard of again. And I get the impression this is not because the character was meant to be a bit enigmatic. I get the impression that they just either ran out of time with the actor or ran out of money to film any more scenes with him. So you think they ran out of money? I think they just left a bunch of stuff on the cutting room floor that was actually worse than what they ended up showing us. <laughs> that's not oh. possible. That oh, is that's not, a good point. Not that's possible. A- that's a solid point. There's the such the merchant is holes in the story. Yeah, the merchant is referenced again at the end, I believe, at some point. So, um, but yes, he, we do not see him again. But this is the weird thing, Joe. So you've just highlighted one ridiculous flaw, which is borrowing a hundred k to play in a poker game so you can pay back a hundred k. But having got that loan from the merchant, Danny, for some unknown reason, has to go and borrow more money from my favorite character in this film jazz boss if only for the name um a loan shark who loves jazz and has a empty warehouse which apparently is a nightclub where he has just one cd that plays on permanent loop which isn't even fucking jazz music no it's not jazz thankfully it wasn't jazz i feel like jazz is the only thing that would have made this movie worse um i by the way if there's one thing i want to come out of this experience it's for Netflix to commission a Jazz Boss spin-off show <laughs> where we find out what happens with him and his partner who went off with another man because this is actually a storyline I almost got invested in and it goes nowhere. Yeah. Just and it was two years ago. This was Wait, actually what? made two years ago. Two years prior to that meeting, right? There was two years between the, the time that that guy left Jazz Boss and the time that Jazz Boss admits that he's going to chase after him. That's right. Like, if if, oh if there's goodness. two years between the last time you talked to your ex, th- that's over. Like, you're not chasing at that point. You're stalking. Go away. Yeah, what a day that we just came upon. A, a day in the life of Jazz Boss. I will say that this Jazz Boss scene does include... Um, a relatively gross, I'm only calling it gross because we would call it gross if it was a man doing it to a woman scene where Jazz Boss forces Danny to dance with him uh, in order <laughs> to to get the money he wants. And I, I, I will ignore that for the fact that, and this, I never saw this coming, but you guys, and I want to get Lance's take on this because there's more coming up later. This is where we start to see that this movie is woke as fuck. It's trying this, to be woke as fuck. Yeah, this movie, this movie is very, very pro LGBTQ and almost violently pro LGBTQ. And, and yet ticks every single cliche box 
including the fact that Jazz Boss has to be this predatory character who comes onto every single man who he comes across. So it's ticking all of the negative cliches while also trying to be, hey, right on. Yeah, I guess there was there was an attempt there by uh, the writer to to make Jazz Boss seem as uh, like a somewhat cool loan shark, but it, it fell flat because I don't do we see Jazz Boss again other than one brief scene. Uh, we there's obviously the scene where Alex goes to visit him, which we'll come right. to in a moment. But after Danny leaves and he's left <laughs> dancing alone, this is what I wrote: We have been waiting for decades for the next rounders. What we have been given here is the next room with poker in it. Yeah, it is. It is very roomy. Um, when Alex goes to visit Jazz Boss and the same CD is playing in Jazz Boss's club, which isn't even jazz, she brings with her a snake. Um, and again, I, I genuinely don't know how any of the characters are connected. I don't understand why she's threatening him. I don't know why she's so angry with Danny, what she wants from him, why she's so desperate to hurt people. And then we're introduced to Frank, a character you've referenced already, Joe, um, the guy in the wheelchair, who it also turns out is a pedophile. And Alex talks about supplying girls to him. And it's unclear whether she is supplying him with underage girls. And the whole thing is really uncomfortable. Like you don't appreciate the wokeness of saying that e- that even even quadriplegics can be pedophiles. Another way of looking at it is it's the classic <laughs> thing that's that's pointed the, the the finger that's pointed at old Bond movies, which is where we have to associate physical disability with some form of deviancy. Um, oh, I I just ultimately just thought that the whole thing was a little bit weird and was a subplot that did not work at all. And on the one hand, and I'm skipping forward in the story slightly, we're meant to think that Frank's a bit of a hero when he decides not to do what Alex asks him to do and pour the poison into Danny's drink. But actually he's doing it because he's being blackmailed. Right. We are supposed to cheer for Danny in that moment where he blackmails (laughs) this dude with photos of him with a 12-year-old girl. I want both characters to die immediately in that moment. <laughs> both of you can get hit by a bomb. That's how the movie should end. <laughs> just God comes down from heaven, smites both of them, and uh, we just see the eternal flames of hell um, burning the celluloid of this film. Uh, the good news is we've almost out. reached the poker, which means we're almost at the end of this is that movie. good that's, news? That's, that's the double good news. But before that, we have the scene where Alex confronts the bully. Another subplot, which is woke as fuck and is like, why is this even in here? And it's you can see it's like, well, you know, she's going to threaten this kid, but it can't be too threatening because that might be really nasty. So instead, it's this really lame-ass scene. I'll say this much about this scene. The kid that plays Lewis is the best actor in the film true. by far. But that is true. Leaps and bounds, he's been to acting classes before. Yes. Okay, what? so one thing I wanted to talk about for the acting here is that I really felt like I don't know if you guys noticed, but there's absolutely no coverage in this movie. That every single scene is one angle <laughs> for the most part. Occasionally there's a second angle, but it's almost always one angle and a lot of times it's one take. Like when they talk over each other sometimes, they have to leave it in cuz it's only one take. I think that that didn't do the actors any favors that they can't move at all, right? All these scenes feel super stilted because the actors have no range of motion. They can't turn their heads. They can't walk around the room. They can't do anything that normal people would do 
over the course of a conversation. So while I don't think they're the greatest actors in the world, it is incredibly difficult to be told you got to stay here in this frame so that we can see both of you and we can see both of your faces and expect to get good performances out of people. Yeah. That being said, even if you're allowing her to move around the frame or even move her head, I doubt Lisa is going to give you any more than you got. Which but you is... can cut away from her occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> True. Um, Lance, you referenced the fact that they do these kind of like uh, graphic novel character introductions and then give up. Another weird thing that suddenly comes from nowhere that wasn't in the, at the start of the movie is suddenly Danny starts talking directly to the audience. He breaks the fourth wall and suddenly it's being first person narrated. And it's like, why would you do that two thirds of the way through the movie? It's so abrupt. It's just like all of a sudden he's talking to me and I'm like, oh, does he know I'm watching? Oh, like, hey dude, I'm, I'm the guy that's watching your movie this month. Uh, like it was just out of like, almost suddenly we're watching The Office. It's crazy because you at first you don't even know if it's just an accident because there's so many other mistakes left in this movie. I like, and I, I guess my question is, did they always decide that that was going to happen at that point of the movie or like halfway through filming? Did they decide like, let's just talk to the camera now. That'll make things easier. See, that's why I think stuff ended up on the cutting room floor. Right. And like, that's what they got rid of was Danny actually engaging with the audience at some point, like earlier he, on, th there had to be a moment. I don't want to spoil it into the movie because we're going to get to it, but there had to be a moment in that pancake scene where Danny explains what he's doing with his niece and it's not breakfast. He's actually teaching her something about cards and poker yeah. and deception. And I like, we'll get to the end. And it, at some point that needed to be referenced much earlier in the film than when yeah. we see it. Yeah. Um, I love the idea of there being an extended edition of this movie. <laughs> I love the idea that there could be, you know, a Blu-ray with the three hour cut of Danny's game. With all of the subplots and all of the exposition put back in. I want more of Danny talking to the camera, telling me about her table presence and image or everything, explaining poker worse than I've seen it explained in any movie. And that is saying something because there are some really bad poker movies out there. You know, I think that this voiceover came from, they were like, oh, it's been at least 20 minutes since we've ripped off rounders. Like Paid this tribute to. <laughs> Sorry. Paid tribute to. He gets let out of jail, the jump, in the, right? In the first scene, I'm like, where have I? Oh, wait a second. This is almost exactly the first scene of Rounders. Yes. It's a complete knockoff. He's, he gets the card slid to him by the, the, uh, the dude that works in the jail that's in charge of the property. He walks out to some junky ass old car and there's like, it turns out to be his brother, but his brother's his best friend. So, hey, well, yeah. we're, we're doing this. Um, the poker scene itself. I mean, it starts with some really, really terrible poker analysis of this old woman and a really painful math lesson, which fortunately, due to the horrific sound quality, was drowned out by the music. <laughs> so this is one of those instances where I kind of missed a lot of the voiceover. Um, where do you think they filmed this? Was this in Minnesota as well, Joe? Uh, I, yeah, I think this is like the airport Radisson. <laughs> I, I think this is, you know, this is just... Actually, there was one scene that was definitely at the airport, Radisson. This place looked a little fancier. It looked like maybe this is where they spent most of their money at, like, um, you know, whatever the whatever the 
fancy downtown hotel is in Minneapolis, probably. But just to be uh, clear, be is it guess. meant to be like a casino? Is it meant to be an underground game? It's very unclear. I'm guessing by the clientele that it's meant to be a casino. I, I It looked, honestly, t- I don't know what it's supposed to be in the movie. It looked like a charity event, right? Like it, yeah. it had that but, feel where it's but, like in a hotel right. and people are dressed up, but like no one's really gambling. Sure, but narratively, are we meant to be in a casino? Because the kind of people who were kind of like walking around didn't look like the same kind I of people you I find in the underground rooms and rounders, for example. This. I can't answer this But one. there, there is a scene where, uh, I think it's Danny, goes down a set of stairs to the, the poker area. And I thought this was a, a bar because uh, our hero, uh, Frank, <laughs> was drinking at the bar. Um well, he's a hero because, like you said, he doesn't poison Danny. But like, there's a, he's at the bar. Danny comes up and talks to him. Frank tells him to go get a table, which I don't, <laughs> I don't know what that meant. But and maybe, then Danny maybe goes they had dinner. Maybe they had dinner that's together what, before they played poker, more sense. and that's on the cutting room floor, and is going to be in the restored three-hour director's edition. <laughs> um. I mean, if it is an underground club, it makes more sense, right? Because Alex shows up with a kidnapped child and no one seems to give a shit. And later on, they wheel in the brother who's like tied up with a gag in his mouth. If that were a casino, you'd think that someone might call the floor at the very least. Um, Yeah, so I guess it's got to be like a mansion, right? It's supposed to be a... a, a, a I don't know. I honestly was a bar upstairs. None of it makes sense. No, but but it's kind of very representative of the movie as a whole. There are two key things. First of all, whatever this venue is, it has exactly the same CD as Jazz Boss. Uh, Secondly, (laughs) secondly, my favorite character. Sorry, second favorite after Jazz Boss. Second favorite character in the movie is the dealer whose facial expressions reflect what the audience is thinking and feeling. She does not have time for any of this bullshit and she wants everyone to know about it. She gives no shits at all about her performance or actually the script. Cause she, I mean, she steals the scene just cause she's over it. Yeah. Completely can you guys, over. can you guys, rem- I don't, re- I don't specifically remember. Th- I, I, look, I'm not gonna lie. At this point I was very drunk. Uh, <laughs> What what does this dealer do? She just has well, they this kind of the game at one point. She just like looks at them like she has this disdain for how slow they're playing, for the fact they want to change from hold them to five card draw. So okay then. Um she basically looks utterly pissed off, as is everyone who's invested more than an hour in this movie at this point. Um, okay, because because here's what here's what I'm focused on in this scene. If, yeah. Can I can I talk about what, what happens? So yes. We hear we hear someone say Welcome to the final table, <laughs> which is three-handed, which has now either become or always was a cash game. Oh, and by the way, whatever game we were playing before, we're now playing five-card draw. Did I have that correct? That's- they were playing Texas Hold'em because uh, the queen says, I'm bored with Texas Hold'em. Right. Okay. I've become bored with Texas Hold'em, I think. So, welcome to the three-handed cash game final table. Five-card draw. Five-card draw it is. Um, Excellent. I think And then I think but then, every post live event once three-handed should go five-card <laughs> draw. <from now. laughs> we Plus should do the the Danny's game tournament. 
that at some point changes from a tournament to a cash game. <laughs> the final table is three-handed, and it's five-card draw. That would be amazing. We get all we get we get all the guys that wrote, directed, everyone in the movie. They come out. We get everyone everyone free rolls in it. If I remember correctly, now we get to see two full hands of poker, right? We do. We do get to see two full hands of poker. Um, the first one I could follow. The second one, I did not have a fucking clue what was going on. And it's only when we got the big reveal with Danny's voiceover, which sounds like it was recorded in a toilet, um, that I actually understood what had happened. Well, okay. you're saying two full hands of poker. It wasn't actually. It was one full hand, three-handed. And then the final hand, which we saw no action whatsoever. Correct. There's no, oh, we don't even okay. see the deal. We don't even see the deal. We basically just see Sorry. her kind of like challenge him. And basically there seemed to become some sort of ratcheting approach based on the strength of your hand. I will kill a certain number of people. If you have a really shit hand, I'm going to kill everyone. If it's as good as like a full house, I might only kill your niece. If you've got quads, I'll only kill you. This is for hand number one. No, hand number two. Hand okay, number so one. Yeah. Talk, talk us through hand number one, Joe. Okay. Well, I, I, all I remember is the the end result of hand number one, which is, well, first of all, during the hand, we become painfully aware, which I, based on how they reveal it later, we weren't supposed to be aware, but that Lisa is cheating oh, for Danny. It's She's the least yawning. subtle signaling of all time. The achoo. Yeah, she's obviously looking right. at Alex's cards and signaling to Danny. Which, hilariously, later on, Danny makes as if it was some kind of big reveal, like, oh, that's what that was. Yeah. So she's cheating. But then the hand at showdown is that Alex shows down a full house, yes. and Alex shows down quads, which, as you know, you would definitely need to know what your opponent has <laughs> If you're going to beat them with quads. I mean, like, I'm not really sure what the coughing and the yawning was all about. If Danny's going to end the hand with quads, but anybody I, think, I, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that <laughs> just shaking his head. I believe they're both cheating, right? I think Danny is cheating as well. So he knows that he has to have or change his cards to at least quads to beat a full house. I think no, that's I, the implication. I don't. I actually think that hand was played straight up. And the really Lance, tell me what you what your read on this. This is great. This is where we get to. Yeah, real I, I didn't have any impression that there was cheating going on there. Uh, I mean, the thing I remember from the showdown was Frank. Like Frank was the first one to go all in, right? And he's like, "I've got kings." And I was like, "There's <laughs> absolutely zero shot that kings are good here." I don't remember all the action, Frank, but you're dead. Like, fuck it, you're done. <laughs> At least those dodgy photos won't be appearing on the internet, though, Frank. Um, so it goes, it goes Kings Full House Quads, and I believe the only cheating that went on is like you know the collusion from the from Lisa coughing right. and yawning. Right. But then the next hand goes down, and this one is just ripped off from the Sting almost entirely, where there is all this talk over who has the best hand, and Danny, unfortunately, I believe tables King High. I think it was ace high, right? Ace high. Ace high. And they, but they call it something strange. I don't remember. He, it's the, high. Uh, the queen. The queen says, uh, "I've got it in the notes here." Ace is high. Ace is 
high, or maybe Ace is high. She probably said. I mean, the the the, the dude in charge of the captions was clear that that was Ace. A C E S. I think we've already established, Lance, that that dude did not Bumble. give a care. fuck. Uh, and then Alex turns over ten high, but doesn't <laughs> know that she has. Wait, go on. Proudly turns over ten high because proudly he's... turns over ten high, but doesn't realize that her hand has somehow been switched with someone else with another hand. She thought she had four of a kind, but her hand's been switched, which we later find out. But at that point, we don't know, and it's not really clear what's going on. She then has a complete meltdown at the table. Um, the table is wobbling. Chips are going everywhere. All of the extras are a bit confused, like how are we meant to react to this awful overperformance? And then she makes her exit. But fortunately, no one gets hurt. Uh, and, and Alex's defense, I, I was very curious about the actress that played Alex. Um, and I did some research on her. And Alex has worked on several other films in the makeup department. Right. This is the first movie that Alex has actually acted in. And given that, I'm willing to cut some slack there for Alex. And I think probably what happened was that whoever cast Alex probably was a little bit sweet on her from working on other films with her and was like, you have to be in this movie and put her in it. Well, That's it's the same for say. the lead, right? The the guy that plays Danny has one other uh, film to his credit. And I, I, I say that loosely because IMDb actually says uncredited. So this is his <laughs> first time getting any sort of credit for a role. Well, he, he's also the writer, exactly. right? And, uh, Danny yes. is the writer. And I was yeah. going to say, All of the, he's everything. He probably did the makeup. Here. was the alarm bell that rang when the opening credits were rolling. It's like, oh my God, a movie written by the lead actor. The last time a small, low-budget movie we saw Joe had that combo. It was pool hall junkies. So I figured I'm in for something right. just as bad. No, I'm in for something even worse. But somehow this was entertaining, I guess because it is so bad, because there's just so much weird stuff going on. And the ending is so yawn and so cliched. It's like after we've had the exposition of how it, the game was rigged and how Lisa was in on it and how he was able to save everyone, I presume that, Alex did get her money back. Um, and then it's like, and now I'm going to leave town because I promised the merchant I would, but now I'm going to grift some guys in a diner and smile knowingly into the camera. How much did you want to punch him in the face in that last shot? Him and the dude that invited him to the game. <laughs> that guy was, I've never seen someone play a drunk uh, worse. Yeah. I don't think. I, I also I just realized we we skipped over a major sort of undertone hinted at thing. So remember how uh, the merchant was like, "I am her grandfather." Yeah. After all, I I took that to mean that he was uh, the father of Lisa's mother. Okay, yeah, that's and what I thought too. But there are multiple hints that Danny is actually Lisa's father. Is yes. another thing. Yes, that is like addressed enough that it's there, but not enough to be like, so you fucked your brother's wife and had a kid with him? No, I with think her? The, uh, the, my implication was that Danny and Lisa's mother were a thing. And then basically either because 
Danny abandoned them or went to prison or for whatever reason, she then got together with his brother and the brother kind of adopted the kid that they'd had. Uh-huh. I mean, I, I have a theory, Joe. For three years, she's supposed to be 12. <laughs> yeah. Right. She doesn't. The math doesn't work. Great. (laughs) Another fucking problem with this movie. Again, in the three-hour extended edition, I'm sure all of this is explained. And but look at hey, look at how much we're talking about it. Look at how much (laughs) there actually is actually there in this film. I'm telling you, there is there is so much going on with Jazz Boss and his loan shark business, and the guy who got put in a truck to be taken to Mississippi. Was it? This is a show Netflix that you need to commission. The world needs more Jazz Boss. How about a Jazz Boss? prequel movie disney where we get to see what went wrong with jazz boss and his partner and maybe we can follow his partner on the side you could have cameo appearances every now and then from from lisa from alex from the merchant it sells itself james you actually reminded me of something else that bothered me about the 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 movie right from the the get-go when uh danny gets in his brother's car and they're they're driving uh home he's his Big brother is giving him the big brother speech, right? Like yes. you gotta, you gotta straighten things out. You gotta, you gotta do right. And here's the rules for staying in my house: uh, no booze, no women, and no pool halls. <laughs> and then yes. they emphasize this later: stay out of the pool halls, Danny. There is zero scenes in a pool hall in this movie. It's referenced once that yes. he shows up at a pool hall, yes. but he never actually goes into a pool hall. It's the classic. Guys, show not tell. Instead, we get a drunk guy in a diner tell his brother that he got grifted in a pool hall. And then the brother has to punch the guy out with the KO sound effect so he can then go and pick up Danny from the pool hall. I mean, it's it's a scene that, again, just encapsulates everything that's god-awful about this movie. The good news for you, Lance, is you don't have to talk about it anymore. The good news for you is that we are going to release you. So thank you very much for agreeing to watch this film, not once but twice, and sharing your thoughts with us today. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. My only sincere hope is that for those that watch the movie, get some closure that Danny's brother gets ungagged and untied by his <laughs> daughter who is fawning over him as they roll out of the poker club. Sadly, Joe, we are not done with this movie because it is the subject of this week's Superfan Quiz. Bring it on. We say hello and I'm so sorry to Guillaume LaBelle. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'm not saying sorry. I think this movie is a gift. I enjoyed it. I had a blast watching it. It was one of the most fun nights I've had in recent lockdown, to be honest. Um, We've obviously just spent uh, an extended amount of time talking about the film and our thoughts on the movie with Lance Bradley. Very quickly, Guillaume, your thoughts in a sentence, in a paragraph, your review of Danny's Game. Um really tough to say um (laughs) this was probably worse than i imagined uh right yeah (laughs) (laughs) for about an hour and 10 minutes long hour and 15 minutes long there's sort of a combination of nothing happening and yeah i'm not really sure how this was nothing but a a lot yeah (laughs) Yeah. nothing but everything (laughs) it is the ultimate cinematic paradox um Obviously, there's a quiz about the movie, so we will return to that in just a moment. But tell us about yourself. What is your deal, bro? Um, yeah, well, I am a, um, you might notice from the microphone, I do some voiceover work. Um, cool. I'm a, uh, I work for the uh, for a training department for a large financial corporation. And uh, I record um, 
or not record, I guess I, uh, I build e-learning modules. So uh, self-directed online learning. Nice. So, yeah, yeah. What specifically do you teach them? Like what's uh, the name of one of anything. the courses? Oh, Give us some of the course geez. titles. A lot of them are insurance based, so not the okay. most exciting, um, not the most exciting themes. But the structural uh, dynamics of flow. <laughs> no, not quite like that. Uh, actually, I'm just working on one this week on crime, so uh, that one's been kind of fun. Nice crimes to look out yeah. for, like ways to detect crimes or uh, things that, that would might potentially be a crime. That you know, if like don't do this in your job, it's a crime. Not quite. More like uh, if somebody breaks into your business or you're a victim of like a social engineering fraud, uh, these are how your insurance policies are going to respond. Oh, Stuff cool. Like Excellent. Yeah. And, and whereabouts are you in the world? I am in Ottawa. So uh, right in Canada's national capital. Nice. So I, do you, you, don't write, you don't write the modules, you just record them. Uh, well, it's sort of a combination of, um, you know, voiceover recording. Sometimes I do, I do write the scripts as well. Uh, the ones I'm working on now doing a little bit of, um, animation in them as well. So kind of little, kind of fun little all cartoons. Right. All good work from home. Get the message across. Yeah. I'm yeah. slightly concerned, yeah. Joe, you're asking a lot of questions about this. I'm slightly concerned that you're thinking of stealing Guillaume's business here. I'm not, no, hey, but I am. Look, I do have voiceover representation. If Guillaume, you know, ever needs uh, another voice to add on to the track, maybe it's the voice of the criminal, or, <laughs> or someone, you know, yeah. a, the bad employee. Don't do, don't be like Stapes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what about outside of work, Guillaume? I know that obviously there isn't much in people's lives outside of work right now with everything we faced in the yeah. last 12 months, but normally what would be your activities? What would be your hobbies and interests? Um, well, aside from poker, uh, big movie fan as well. Uh, actually one of the things our poker group has done over the pandemic is we've got together and we've created a, a movie club. So we, we kind of nice. give each other an assignment, watch a movie, get together every couple of weeks, talk about it, ah, deep dive it. it. Yeah. Find some ways to, uh, probably talk or look too deep into movies that don't really have that much meaning in the end, but uh, yeah, we have fun. What's with the it. last movie yeah. you did? The last one we did was, um, Requiem for a dream. Nice. Oh, that's a, that's a great one. Yeah. If you want to overanalyze, there's a, also, there's yeah. a ton in that. You can, <laughs> how do I get into this club? This sounds awesome. This sounds yeah. like my dream. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. Well, the stakes are high. Because it is a two hundred and fifteen dollar yeah. Sunday million anniversary ticket that is on the line here, Guillaume. That fifteenth anniversary taking place at the end of March. Um, questions. The requiem of a dream for poker movies. Indeed. Danny's game. <laughs> now there are ten questions based on Danny's game. The quiz compiled by Patrick. That's right. We did not have to suffer alone. We forced Patrick to watch the film as well. <laughs> it is. Very much potluck. Some of these questions, I think, are very, very easy. Some of them, maybe not so much. So, luck of the draw. Variance, a part of tournament poker, and very much a part of this game as well. Uh, I'm sure you know the format. I'm sure you know the rules. I need a number between 1 and 10 so we can kick off this quiz. All right, let's start with number 2. Number 2. Ooh, controversial. We're going with a deuce. Now, many answers to this question are given during the course of the film, but I need the genuine reason, the genuine answer. Why does Danny walk with a limp? The real reason? The real reason. Multiple choice options are available should you need them. 
think I know the reasons, but I'll go multiple choice. A little nervous okay. with the first question. Is it? Bookie smashed his kneecap with a hammer. He was stabbed in the leg by an inmate in prison. He had a skydiving accident, or he fakes it to make people feel sorry for him. He fakes it. Of course he does. Uh, <laughs> one point to Guillaume, and you are on the board. Joe, your first question, any number other than two? I would have needed the choices for that too, Guillaume, just so you know. Uh, I, I never go with this one first. Let's go with question number three. Question number three. You picked an easy one, Joseph. What animal does Alex bring with her when she confronts Jazz Boss? A snake. She does indeed bring a snake, which she talks about potentially being poisonous, even though it's a non-poisonous snake that crushes rather than bites. But that's not important. 2-1 uh, <laughs> is the score, and Guillaume, it's your second question. Two and three poisonous have gone. Poisonous to her acting career. <laughs> not the only plot hole in this movie either. Uh, number nine, please. <laughs> number nine. What hand does Alex declare she has before showing down junk at the end of the movie? Full house. No. She claims she has four of a kind. No points scored there. And Joe, one... I like how you went for it, Guillaume. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. Uh, one, four, five, six, seven, eight, or ten, Joe? Um, Let's go. Hey, I'll be always coming seven. What suit of cards does the old lady fold to Danny's bluff? She's chasing a flush, but what suit is it? I don't think taking the choices really helps here if I don't know the answer. I'm pretty sure <laughs> I know it's, what I mean, there the are four, four options, suits and I wonder what they might possibly <laughs> be, right? Uh, so I'm just going to go with clubs. It was actually spades. So it's still 2-1 uh, on the scoreboard as we enter the third round. Your third question, Guillaume. Number one. Number one. Nice and easy, and there's a bonus attached. Who collects Danny from prison at the very start of the movie? Arthur. Arthur collects him for two points. And the bonus question, what is the Ooh. first thing Arthur does when he sees Danny? He punches him in the face. K.O. Absolutely. <laughs> and the score is now 4-2. Oh, Joseph, what question would you like? Uh, give me question 10, please. Question 10. What is the name of the child that makes fun of someone for having two moms? Lewis. Lewis for two points, and there is a bonus here. Who confronts him about it? Alex. Alex for the bonus point, and the score is 5-4. This movie is woke as fuck. Do not forget it. <laughs> this movie is so fucking woke. Four, five, six, or eight available, Guillaume. Eight. What game do they switch to at the final table? <laughs> yeah, this was uh, really interesting to me. Five card draw. They do indeed for two <laughs> points. Bonus question. Who decided the format? Which of the three players to make the final table decided to switch to five card draw? That would be uh, Alex. It would be Alex for a bonus point, and you have a two-point lead. Oh, Joe, shit. your penultimate question, four, five, or six? Four is my unlucky number, so I'm going to take it. What is the name of the actor who plays Danny and coincidentally wrote the movie? I, 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 I'll, I'll know it when I see it, but I can't say it off the top of my head. I need the choices. Is it Mike Breeden, 
Brent Myrand, Joshua Ungaretti, or Shia LaBeouf? Joshua Ungaretti. It is for one point. And going into the final round, the score is seven points to our superfan, six points to Joe Stapleton, so you have a one-point advantage. Five or six, your final question, Gil. Let's go with number six, please. What is the name of Jazz Boss's partner, who we discover is cheating on him with another man? Henry. Henry for two points. Wow. And Joe, your final question. How many rules does the merchant give Danny about playing poker when they meet under the bridge? What's the score right now? You would need to get two points here. I believe there are three rules. There are actually five, but spoiler alert, you couldn't win because there was no bonus attached and Guillaume already had a three-point <laughs> advantage. The final score, nine points to our superfan, six points to Joe Stapleton. Uh, congratulate. I was going to say congratulations because you had to watch Danny's game, but congratulations, Gion, <laughs> because you are a winner. You are going to get a T-shirt from the Poker in the Ears range, and crucially, you are going to be playing in the Sunday Million 15th anniversary. $12.5 yeah! million guaranteed on Sunday the Woo! 21st of March. Excellent. Thank you very much. Very Thank exciting. you for volunteering for one of the tougher assignments we've <laughs> ever handed out on this podcast. Thank you very much for coming on the show today. My pleasure. And, Honestly, and, it was uh, it was great. And Guillaume, if you make a run in that Sunday Million, you better let us know because we would like to give you a little bit of extra attention. So uh, fire off some tweets. Use the hashtag P-I-T-E and we will make sure that we check in on you if you're still in by the time we are broadcasting. Absolutely. I, I hope to go very deep in that one. So, uh, yeah, hopefully I get cool, to reach buddy. out. Good luck. Thank you. All right, my babies, we're almost out of time for this week's show. Coming up on next week's show, uh, poker-wise, we've got the Sunday Million to talk about, the Michigan Coop stream to talk about. Plus, I'm actually very excited about this. We're going to be joined by British comedian Reese James, yeah, who's been playing on stars and streaming in recent weeks. But James, of course, you know why I'm I'm most excited. Please tell me, because he's fans of ours. <laughs> <laughs> Joe's ego is hoping to get a little bit of a massage. My understanding is that Reese set himself a challenge to win enough money playing poker to buy himself a new sofa. And considering he had a four figure score last oh, week, he's damn. well on the way to achieving his goal. I'm really intrigued to find out about how he got into poker and why he started streaming. Maybe it's a lockdown thing. Maybe he just loves the game that much. But yeah, looking forward to having Reese on next week's podcast. And I'm really intrigued to find out if he can do anything for my career. Uh, and apparently uh, nobody wants a free copy of We Run Bad. Okay. Huh? Okay. Hit me up. Yeah. What's up? What's If we are going to run, if we're going to host an actual poker in the ears book club yeah we need everyone to actually read the book and the reason why we're warning you about this ahead of time is okay it's very easy to watch a one hour 16 minute movie in the space of five days but we're letting you know now that we're going to be talking about this book in mid-may because you need time to read it even though i think you said last week joe it's a relatively short book so please Take the opportunity to bag yourself a free copy, courtesy of Joe Stapleton. And obviously, we're going to need a super fan for that week. And you know, when we set the specialist subject, I always juice the prize pool. I always give you the opportunity to play for something special. So there's every reason to apply. And just in case you missed it, Joe, 
I have decided to shorten the Twitter hashtag. They've oh, rebadged it, you it. fool. We're now hashtag <laughs> P-I-T-E. Um, poker in the ears. Too many notes. Too many characters. P-I-T-E. We've been using that abbreviation internally for ages, so we might as well use it out in public. It's, That's the It's hashtag. really sad how long it took us to come up with Pite. Like, <laughs> we're in year four or five or six of this podcast. We just started using P-I-T-E like three months ago. <laughs> All right, guys, use that hashtag, P-I-T-E, otherwise known as Pite, which is almost spite, which is my motivation for doing a lot of things. Uh, get your super fan applications in. Get your guest suggestions in. Um, just have a little just have a little chat with us. We would love to read more of your tweets on air. And, of course, I will be sending out copies of the book. All you got to do is convince me that you are going to read it. That is great idea. Yes. A great yes. idea. Do you remember, Joe, on the scoop replays we did last year, they would cut out the breaks from those final table replays, but you'd still have a pause in the action of between 40 and 60 seconds. <laughs> yes. And so we created this element where we ran a mock, A-M-O-Q, ask me one question. <laughs> kind of like an AMA, but we only ever had time for one question. Let's make that a regular strand on the podcast. Every week, we will answer one question posted on Twitter using the hashtag P-I-T-E. And obviously, we want it to be something meaty, something interesting, not just, oh, you know, what color socks do you wear? Or, you know, do you prefer almond milk or coconut milk? An interesting question, and we will run a mock every single week, assuming someone submits a decent question. And I won't even answer with the sarcastic two-word answer. Thank you for your question. We will answer it for real, okay? Use that hashtag, P-I-T-E, for when we run a mock. However, for now, that is all the time we've got for this week's show. For James Hardigan, I'm Joe Stapleton. Smell you later. Later.